In the 1920s, Albert Fall was the U.S. Secretary of the Interior, and he gave favorable government oil leases to two large companies. In return, those companies gave him cash gifts and zero-interest loans, totaling hundreds of thousands of dollars. The truth leaked out and became known as the Teapot Dome Scandal. Albert Fall went to jail. In the 1970s, the FBI conducted a sting operation known as Abscam to root out government corruption. Undercover agents approached various politicians, offering bribes in return for special treatment when it came to business licenses, building permits, or other commercial development opportunities. Several congressmen were convicted, as well as a mayor and a few city council members. Then just last month, some congressional leaders received confidential briefings about the coronavirus pandemic. After they learned about the potential scale of the problem, did they rush out and begin working on legislation to address things like the shortages of medical supplies? Well, some of them did. But a few, few of them first called their brokers to sell off assets they owned before the stock market went into a steep decline. Now, not all politicians are corrupt, not by a long shot, and yet these stories and countless other similar stories from history make it clear that some politicians always will put themselves first. At critical moments, they will put their desire for profit or power or prestige ahead of the needs of the people, ahead of the rule of law, ahead of the pursuit of justice. And this creates a very real tension because we need government, and government is part of God's plan to create order in this world. Yet government is run by politicians, and politicians often let us down. We simply cannot rely on them to always do the right thing. It's true now, and it was true in the time of Jesus. In recent weeks, we've been exploring different historical scenes from the book of Matthew, and we've seen Jesus as he is betrayed by one person after another. Betrayed by one group after another. Jesus went to the cross because he was betrayed by everyone. And the final betrayal came from politicians. Politicians who put themselves first. Here's how it happened. Picture the scene. It's Friday of Passover week in ancient Jerusalem. It's early in the morning and Jesus has had no sleep. He's physically and emotionally weary. And late the night before, the Jewish religious leaders falsely convicted him of blasphemy. And then some soldiers beat him up. But now the chief priests have a problem. They condemned Jesus to death, but only the Roman authorities can carry out an execution. The Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, could care less about settling a Jewish religious dispute, so the priests now must lie and come up with new charges. In order to get Jesus sentenced to death, they bring him to Pilate and accuse him of being a social agitator. They tell the governor that Jesus has urged people not to pay their taxes. They tell Pilate that he calls himself the king of the Jews. And that's where we dive into this story. In the book of Matthew chapter 27, starting in verse 11. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor. 
And the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now Pontius Pilate is different than our kind of governor. He's a governor, but he's got the authority of a judge. And as he questions Jesus, in order to make a ruling, he faces three big political problems. Problem number one, it's Passover week. Every year at this time, one million Jews or more come to Jerusalem. And they come to celebrate the time when God freed their ancestors from slavery in Egypt. Passover reminds the Jewish people of what God did in the past. And they want him to do it again now. They desperately want God to set them free from the Roman rulers they hate. So passions are high and people easily can get riled up. As a result, the Romans always are on edge during Passover. They bring extra soldiers to town and they avoid controversial actions to help keep things calm. And now, now the Jewish priests bring Jesus to Pilate for questioning. This would be a political hot potato at any time, but it's particularly bad at Passover. Problem number two, King Herod passes the buck. According to the book of Luke, Pilate tries to get off the political hot seat by sending Jesus to the king, hoping that he, the king, will handle the matter. But Herod doesn't want to make the final decision. After all, why should he pay the political price? He questions Jesus, but then just sends him back to Pilate. And now all the responsibility rests on the governor. Problem number three, Pilate and the Jewish priests hate each other and they don't trust each other. Pilate doesn't know if the accusations against Jesus are legitimate or do the priests have an agenda of their own. Governor Pilate is facing a political nightmare and yet he has a clear choice. He can play politics or he can pursue justice. What course will he choose? Well, he starts things off okay by asking Jesus if the charges against him are true. Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answers, but in a very unusual way. You have said so. I think what Jesus is saying is this. Yes, yes, I am a king, but I'm not the kind of king you think. Remember, Jesus did not come to be a political ruler. He came to bring about the kingdom of God. Well, other than that one simple answer, Jesus remains silent and Pilate can't believe it. He expects people to defend themselves, but that's not Jesus' approach. He did the same thing on Thursday night during his bogus trial before the Jewish religious leaders. Jesus simply will not respond to useless questions based on false charges. And at the same time, he's showing everyone what it's like to experience the peace of God and the strength that comes from God. Jesus can put up with this unjust treatment because he knows that the Heavenly Father is in control. 
what a great example for us. And the result of Jesus' behavior is rather ironic. After all, Jesus is the prisoner, yet he's the one who's calm. Pilate is the judge, yet he's the one who's amazed and and probably even confused. After all, how can you interrogate a prisoner who won't talk? And even though Jesus is silent, Pilate can't find any evidence of a crime. As we'll see in a moment, Pilate's wife even gets into the act. She sends her husband a note claiming that Jesus is innocent. And so as this questioning proceeds, I wouldn't be surprised if Pilate is thinking to himself, what kind of mess have these priests got me into? I think Pilate must feel cornered. On the one hand, if he releases Jesus, the priests will be angry and they may incite the people. And Pilate doesn't want to take that risk, not during Passover week. On the other hand, if Pilate pronounces Jesus guilty, then many of the citizens will be angry because Jesus has attracted a huge following. And Pilate doesn't want to take that kind of risk, not during Passover week. So what can he do? Will he address this issue properly as a matter of justice and then be willing to handle the fallout? Or will he address this as a purely political problem? Sadly, he chooses the latter approach. And so he tries to shift the blame and the responsibility by relying on an unusual Roman custom. Verse 15. Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? Listen to this, for he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message, don't have anything to do with that innocent man. For I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. It's rather interesting. So as a way to gain favor with the Jews, the governor is allowed to pardon one prisoner every year during Passover week based on the wishes of the people. And now a crowd is gathered at the palace gate for that very purpose. They are there to demand freedom for a Jewish convict named Barabbas. Based on this, Pilate thinks he's come up with a brilliant political solution. He will offer to pardon Jesus instead of Barabbas. And of course, the crowd will go for it because Jesus clearly is innocent. And surely they won't want a fellow Jew to be unfairly executed. Pilate then can set Jesus free and the priests won't be able to blame him. Hey, I just did what the crowd wanted. And Pilate Pilate also then can keep Barabbas in prison, which he would prefer to do since Barabbas is an enemy of the state as well as a convicted murderer. You know what Pilate's doing here? He's putting his desire to look good and avoid controversy ahead of the need for justice. He is misusing his authority to play politics. And his perfect solution doesn't work out the way that he wants He actually blows it big time because he completely misreads the mood of the crowd. 
And so when he asks the people, do you want me to release Jesus? His plan backfires. Verse 20. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you, asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah, Pilate asked. And they all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. And Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting. He took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. And then he released Barabbas to them. But he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Now there are plenty of people in Jerusalem who admire Jesus, but they're not here, not at this moment. This crowd has come for Barabbas. And to be sure that that Pilate can't change their minds, the priests circulate among the crowd and keep the people worked up. The religious leaders want Jesus to be convicted, and not just convicted, but crucified. Now we need to understand that the average Jew was repulsed by Roman crucifixion, even for hardened criminals. Yet the priests push for crucifixion because they want the shame of this execution to destroy Jesus' reputation. They want Jesus dead and gone and destroyed so he will no longer threaten them. And the fact that the mob calls for crucifixion tells us that it's not a typical Jewish crowd. It's a bloodthirsty group of rebels and agitators. So they find it easy to choose Barabbas, a man of violence, instead of Jesus, a man of peace. They find it easy to ask for a guilty man to be set free and for an innocent man to be nailed to a cross. And now Pilate has a huge dilemma. The crowd is getting unruly, and if he doesn't give them what they want, they might start a riot, and then King Herod would criticize him for failing to keep the peace during Passover. So Pilate does what is politically convenient for him. He caves into the crowd and refuses to accept responsibility. Yet he is responsible because he does have the authority to bring about justice. Instead, he convicts a man he believes to be innocent in order to protect his position and his image. So Pilate has Barabbas released and Jesus flogged. This means Jesus is whipped across his back 40 times with a lash made of leather thongs and each thong has a metal tip. Just imagine what that does to a human body. And then after this torturous and undeserved punishment, Jesus heads to the cross. And it's not the outcome that Pilate actually wanted, and yet yet he still can feel as if he achieved a level of political success. After all, he kept the crowd happy, he kept the priests happy, and he avoided a riot. But should that really be the measure for success? The reality is that this whole affair is tragic. It's a story of a king who passes the buck. It's a story of a governor who plays politics during a trial. 
It is a story of betrayal. Betrayal by politicians who put themselves ahead of the pursuit of justice. And it's a reminder that some politicians will let us down. Some politicians will betray their office for personal gain. And this is a reminder we need to hear because it seems as if politics increasingly is becoming our national religion. You and I are subjected to a constant bombardment of news about politics and politicians, most of it slanted in one direction or another. Each side paints their preferred political party as the saviors and the other political party as the evil enemy. Oh, as followers of Jesus, can we adopt a different view and set a different tone and remember that no politician deserves our total trust? As followers of Jesus, can we put our trust in God more than, any, more than in any flawed human being who happens to run for office? And then let's face it, our situation is compounded by our current health crisis and the related economic impact and, and the social cost of unemployment and isolation. We cannot look to one person or one party to have all the answers. And we cannot focus on using this crisis to score political points against the other side, who, whoever we view that side to be. We need to remember that Jesus died because when people play politics, truth often becomes a casualty. When people play politics, justice often becomes a casualty. The answer is to let our lives be filled with God. To live each day as children of the Father who follow Jesus and who enjoy the comfort and guidance of the Holy Spirit. So let's step back from the political fray and pray for all of our leaders. Let's ask God to give them wisdom from heaven and to help them be willing to listen to one another, to glean wisdom and insight from one another, to come to agreement together. Let's ask God to work through our leaders to bring healing to our communities and restore them to life. God can do that. God, I believe, will do that when we put our total trust in him.